Genesis chapter 29 and most of 30 make for kind of a biblical soap opera with all the domestic melodrama and sentimentality that one expects on TV. And just as the key to a good soap opera is some surprises and key surprises and twists, there are lots of little twists and surprises in this story in Genesis chapter 29 and 30. There are a few things that I want to just kind of prepare the way for you on. Uh, First of all, you and I, when we read this story, we tend to think of Jacob as a much younger man than he really is. We think of him as, you know, a young adult who's just left home and traveled this 500 miles. But actually, about this time, he's actually already about 70 years of age, and he's never married. So he's, he's getting advanced. And although that may not be, uh, that may, might be a lot more like middle-aged in our culture today, He's really not a young adult anymore, even in the culture he's living in. Secondly, the pressure for Jacob to get married is very present and real. He's already at the age of 70 plus, and to fulfill the promise of God, God had promised him that he would have descendants, and they would be very numerous. You remember that? He promised him that um, on the way, on the journey. God appeared to him and promised him that. And so the only way for him to have descendants is to have a family and to be married and to have children. And so there's, there's a little bit of pressure there on him. But then the third thing is that the girl of his dreams, Rachel, becomes the person for whom you and I tend to side with against the older sister Leah as we read the biblical story. You know, we kind of we get in these Bible stories and we kind of take sides with people and, and that kind of thing. And as we read the biblical story, we kind of side with Rachel against Leah. And yet, as we do that, one gets the grand impression that God is rooting for Leah while we are cheering for Rachel. Jacob is nearing the end of his 500-mile trip to see his uncle Laban, running away from Esau as his mother had instructed him, Rebecca. And he sees out there in the distance a well in a field. And as he gets closer, there are three different flocks of sheep with their shepherds, and they're all just sitting there waiting to be watered, for the shepherds to be able to water their flocks. And that, at first glance, doesn't make any sense to him at all. These sheep should be out. They should get water, and then they should get back out. It's during the day, and sheep don't gain weight just sitting around waiting on water. They need to get back out there to pasture and eat some grass. 
So he is watching this, and there are three different sets of sheep, three different shepherds, and they're just waiting to get water. We assume this well is kind of like a cistern that is owned by someone who has an agreement that he will come out and take the lid off and provide everyone water when all of them get there. On a first-come, first-served basis. And so these shepherds, they all come and they all have to wait till everybody has gotten there before um, the cover is taken off. And the cover is heavy. It's like a big rock. And it keeps the water clean during the day until the sheep get there and it keeps the shepherds from stealing the guy's water out of the cistern. And so all of that. Jacob arrives. He gets closer and closer, and he finally arrives, and he starts making small talk with the shepherds, and he learns that, yes, his trip is just about to the end. He asks if they know where Laban is or who he is, and they say, yes, we know Laban. He's our neighbor. And in fact, that's his daughter, Rachel, and she's coming with his sheep. Now, Jacob wants those shepherds to disappear. He wants them to water their sheep and get out of there quick because he is interested in Rachel. And he doesn't want those other shepherds around. (laughs) Besides, again, it doesn't make any sense for them to be sitting around waiting for water when the sheep should be out grazing and gaining weight. But they tell Jacob, well, that's not how we do it here. We all gather and we all have to wait to water our sheep. And they don't get water till we're all here and all present. And so even though it was profitable for the owner, it wasn't very practical. And Jacob knew this, but he was informed that you have to follow the customs of where where you're going to. When Rachel arrives, he greets her with the cultural kiss of the day. He tells her who he is, and then he shows off his muscles by going over and picking up that heavy cover that the other shepherds weren't going to lift off, and he waters her sheep. Rachel takes off to tell her father Laban about Jacob being there, and Laban goes out to meet Jacob, and Laban gives him the cultural greeting the kiss, the embrace, and he brings him home again with all the sheep. Well, the story continues on. Jacob stays for a whole month with Laban. And it seemed pretty good for both of them for Jacob to stay there. Jacob has had a month to get even more interested in Rachel. And he wants to stay. And Laban sees that Jacob is a good, strong worker, and he wants him to stay. Besides that, he's got two daughters, and he would like both of them to marry well. So, then we come to this interesting passage in the scripture where the two daughters are described in terms that are a little bit difficult to translate into words that we would use. Leah, it says, had weak eyes. 
But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Now, at first glance, one gets the impression that Leah was kind of hard on your eyes. <laughs> Especially since she is contrasted there with Rachel, who was lovely in form and beautiful. And it certainly doesn't help that her name, Leah, means wild cow. I don't know what mom was thinking. But the word weak is never, ever used in the Hebrew Old Testament scripture in a negative way. It is always used to mean tender, frail, or delicate. And the eyes are a reflection of what's in the heart. And so what, what the Hebrew is, is saying here, as near as we can tell, is that Leah had a heart. She was beautiful on the inside. She was tender and frail and um, delicate in her heart. While Rachel didn't have so much of that, but man, she was, she was attractive on the outside. Leah and Rachel are both there. But Jacob is really taken with Rachel. And in that culture, Laban would work to be sure that Leah was married first since she was the oldest. And in that culture, the oldest daughter always got married first. So when Laban wants to know what wages Jacob wants for working for him, Jacob fell right into Laban's trap. <laughs> And Jacob says, I will work for seven years if I can just have Rachel as my wife. Jacob volunteered. Did you catch that? He volunteered to work seven years to have her. Some of you women, if you're not married yet, wait for the guy who will work seven years to get you. That's an amazing story right there in itself. Jacob volunteers to work seven years for the younger daughter, Rachel, and he doesn't even notice that Laban is a master schemer and has never really promised to give Rachel to him at the end of seven years. All Laban has said is that it would be better to give Rachel to him rather than to some other man. <laughs> he did not say that he would give Rachel to him at the end of seven years after Jacob had worked. It was implied. It was never promised. Jacob has grown up a lot over the years, and he should. He is 70 plus. He is willing to persevere and work hard to get what he wants. He, we all need someone to love 
We need something to do and something to look forward to. And Jacob has all three of those. He, he is passionate about Rachel. And now he's got something to do and he's looking forward to getting married to her. The seven years go by and it's like no time has passed. Because he's so excited about getting married to Rachel. The problem is that sometimes we, or maybe more often than sometimes, we reap what we sow. And you remember the stories earlier where Jacob deceives his father. And now Jacob is the one deceived by his father-in-law. And Jacob passes himself off to his, to his father as though he is Esau. And now Rachel's sister Leah is passed off as though she is Rachel to him. On his wedding night, after seven years of hard work, I would be mad. <laughs> Leah participated in that. She participated in the deception. In the dark, bridal chamber of the wedding night, she probably acted and dressed up much like Rachel. She probably put on clothes that Rachel would wear. And she probably acted just like Rachel, um, just as Jacob had acted and dressed up like Esau at one day earlier in his life. And perhaps Jacob was a little bit intoxicated the night of his wedding, we don't know. But he thought he was with Rachel. Jacob confronts Laban. Laban tells Jacob of the cultural requirement that Leah be married before Rachel. And he says, you just go ahead and finish out this week of celebration. And I'm, I'm kind of doubting that it was much of a celebration the rest of the week. <laughs> but Laban says, you finish out this week of celebration because wedding celebrations, they lasted for a week in the Middle East culture, and they still do today. He said, you finish this out, and then I will let you have Rachel in exchange for another seven years of labor. Laban was getting a good deal. So within one week's time, you have a man who is about 70 years of age and has never been married, and within one week, he is married to two different women who are sisters. May it never, ever be said of us. <laughs> wow. Each sister has a maid that moves in with them in addition to that. And Jacob has four women in the house. Talk about a life change. And a whole lot of family tension. After a week with Leah, Jacob does marry Rachel, and he consummates the marriage. And Jacob, it says, 
Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. That shouldn't surprise us. For seven years he'd been in love with her. But if you're Leah, it hurts. Jacob fulfilled his marital duties, marital duties to Leah, but his heart belonged to Rachel. And Jacob worked the next seven years to get Rachel. Leah's tender, delicate, frail heart went unloved by her husband. And every day, it hurt. God sees Leah. And I want to tell you, friends, when you're hurting, the constant reminder of Scripture, especially in Genesis, is when you're hurting, God sees you. Remember Hagar out there, all by herself? God saw her. And Leah is here, and God sees Leah. God sees that Leah was not loved, so he opens up Leah's womb, and he closes Rachel's womb. And she gives birth to Reuben, and then Simeon, and then Levi, and then Judah. And I want you to notice the transformation that happens in Leah during these pregnancies. She names Reuben And Reuben means God sees. She's recognizing that God saw her heart, her hurt. Simeon, God hears. God heard my pain in my marriage. Levi, that means attached. And Leah's question at that point is, Will, will Jacob attach himself to me now? Will it be more than just a duty? Will, will there be some attachment there? I've given him three sons. Will he finally love me? Will he attach himself to me? But the fourth son comes, and she names him Judah, which means praise. And Leah had gotten to the place in her life where she decided she was going to praise God whether her husband loved her or not. Despite the lack of love by Jacob, she was going to receive her love from God. Later in the story, she has two more sons, Issachar. Issachar means reward. And it means she was saying, God has rewarded me. And Zebulun, honor, is what that means. And Leah's saying, God has honored me. Leah had learned not to focus on what she did not have. But she had learned to focus on what she had. She had six sons and she had a God who saw her and knew her and loved her. But Rachel, Rachel goes 
for those whole seven years that Jacob was out there working for her, she has no children during that time. And beautiful Rachel is not quite so beautiful on the inside. She becomes jealous of Leah. And so one day she says to Jacob, I need children <laughs> by you. <laughs> and she's demanding that he produce children for her. And it's an impossible demand. And Jacob, he just gets angry. Um, he tells her, well, I'm not responsible. I can't do anything about this. God is the one that's kept you from having children. And he's just a real comforting husband at this point. <laughs> not so much. Rachel decides, okay, I'm going to come up with my own scheme. Because she is a good schemer, like her father, Laban. She decides to have children through her maid, Bilhah. And to Bilhah, two sons are born, Dan, which means vindication, and Naphtali, which means my struggle. And Rachel got to name both of those boys. And so she's saying, God has vindicated me, and, and God saw my struggle, and now I have children through my maid. Rachel basically is getting even with Leah. And unfortunately, she's just using children to do so. Be very careful that you don't use children to get even with other people. Value children for who they are. Leah, her womb has been closed up. She has quit having children, and since Rachel thinks that this is a contest now, she decides, well, I'm going to re-enter into the contest. And she gave her maid, Zilpah, to Jacob, and Zilpah has two children, and the first one is named Gad. Luck has come my way. <laughs> Leah names him. And the second one is Asher, which is a beautiful name that means happy. Because the women were going to call Leah happy now. The sad thing is that in these two births, there is no mention of God at all in these births. And Leah has simply descended to Rachel's level. And she's just using children as a weapon in their feud between them. Really, this household is really quite a circus. Jacob would come in from a long day in the field to find out what his wives had schemed up during the day and to whom he would sleep with at night. He, he had lost complete control. I think going to work in the field was probably a relief, a stress reliever, <laughs> to get ready to come back home at night. In desperation, to get pregnant, Leah and Rachel even tried mandrakes, which were berries that Reuben had found. And in Middle East culture, it was believed among the ancients that those particular berries stimulated sexual desire and the chances of conception. And so Leah gave Rachel some of Reuben's mandrakes if Rachel would allow Jacob to come spend the night with her. And sleep with her. 
And that was when Leah, with or without the berries, we don't know, conceived of Issachar. Leah also gives birth to other daughters, but we, we presume, but we do know of one, Dinah, and she is mentioned because she plays into a future chapter in Genesis. Now Jacob, unlike his father Isaac, never once do we hear that he prayed for his wife. He never prays for Rachel to get married, or to get pregnant. Rachel has to do that for herself. Rachel does pray, and God listens to her, and he opens up her womb after all of these years, and after ten children that have been born to Jacob. Finally, Rachel has her womb open up, and she has two children. One is Joseph, which means, may God add. And the last one is Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. But then she died giving birth to Benjamin. I want to say this morning that God has a best plan for marriage and family and sex. Sex, love, and marriage bring the most satisfaction in our lives when we practice them according to God's will and according to God's word. Self-sacrificing love and sex are meant to go together. What you see so often in this story and in so many stories where, again, God is always brutally honest with all of his Bible characters. But what you see so often is that it is a kind of um, very selfish love that goes together with sex in our culture. And God wants it to be a self-sacrificing where we are willing to, you know, work for seven years. (laughs) God wants that kind of love where we'll sacrifice each other, sacrifice ourselves in order to express our love to someone else. So we're wise to follow in that, but we are not always in control of other people. We are not always even in control of ourselves at all times. And so sometimes married life and family life can get quite messy, and certainly this is a passage where it was a mess. I don't think any of us can read Genesis 29 and 30 and think, well, this is the perfect family. It's not. And sometimes our lives also get messy. In the mess that we see in Jacob's life and family, we see a God who is always at work in us despite the messes we live in. God is always at work in you. God is always at work for you. 
that doesn't mean that you, will, you won't go through some real and lasting disappointments in your life, like Leah not being loved by her husband. And not just for weeks or months or years, but for decades. But it does mean this. It does mean that God is going to be at work in your life, even in those and through those disappointments. And I think one of the great lessons of Genesis is that there's people that are just a mess in Genesis. And God says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And that God can be your God. That God wants to be your God. Jacob was a passive man. He liked peace, liked being at home, liked things calm. But he was often a pawn in the battle between his wives. But God worked to make Jacob a better man through it all. Jacob cared really only about Rachel's outward beauty and very little about Leah's inward beauty and character, But God, God looks on the inside. God looks at the heart and he favored Leah. Eventually, Rachel, the younger sister, she dies early in childbirth and she is buried on the way back home near Bethlehem. And not much is said about this, but don't miss it. Guess who lives the rest of her life with Jacob? Leah. And guess who is buried right next to Jacob? Back in the promised land. It's Leah. In the cave at Machpelah. Leah eventually became the blessing that she had always wanted to be to Jacob. Leah gave birth to Judah, and from his line came the Messiah. It is through Judah that we have our Savior, Jesus Christ. Leah gave birth to Levi, and it is from that line that the Old Testament Israelites had all the priests. the the Levites. Rachel and Leah based their value so much of their life, they based on how much Jacob loved them and whether they could have children or not. And one of the things they needed to really discover is that our value is found in who we know. It is whether we know God or not. That's where your real value comes from. It's not in whether you have someone that 
loves you or not. And it's not in whether you can have children or not. And it's not in all these other things. Your value is found in whether you are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Leah learned what so many in our culture need to learn. Sex and children do not make love. They cannot produce it. Young women, never go to bed with a man. just to convince him that you love him or to have children by him. The biblical record is that never, ever ends up well, ever. Find out for sure that man loves you before you go. (laughs) Make him prove it. Make him live up to it. But where I want to end this morning is I want to remind you that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wants to be your God. Whether you're in a messy situation or whether you just have the perfect family. God wants to be your God.